Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas and this is our Wednesday show where we niche down to a single topic, think about a question and unpack the rest. Today we're talking about ego and what recent news has taught us about it and its impact on the tech and venture ecosystem. And to end the year, we're bringing it right back to basics and I am joined by the wonderful, inimitable Alex Wilhelm. Alex, how the heck are you? Well, I'm good. And we're doing this kind of in a cheap fashion because we're re-recording this intro after having done <laughs> the show because we kind of wanted to tell people that this ended up being, I'm going to say, self-indulgent. To say the least, I think the goal of the show, the goal of the Wednesday show in general is to show my favorite word, which is nuance behind the headlines. I do think, though, this one is really two reporters sitting down who have been covering a daily news cycle for years, but for this year specifically, trying to understand how to connect the dots between Elizabeth Holmes, SBF, Adam Newman, Ryan Breslow, Zuckerberg. I mean, there are so many big names that created news this year. And this episode is really trying to understand what these stories told us and if they connect and should be in the same sentence. So so I don't think there's a big takeaway other than it's very complicated. Yes. And, you know, in the old days, we would have gone to Bar Basic in Soma and gone out back where you can still smoke and had a couple of drinks and shared a pack of camels and uh, talked it through. But we don't get to do that because hashtag health. And so we're doing it on the podcast. So sit down with us and uh, let's have a chat. Have some tea, have some wine if you want, depending. I don't know. Do your thing. Buckle in. Today, we're talking about ego. And joining us is Alex Wilhelm, my favorite person, the best co-host, and someone who I'm going to dearly miss when he is off in a few weeks or days or hours. Yeah, but we'll see. But I just want to say all those polite comments from Natasha you just heard were simply an attempt to boost my ego. So that way I would fall prey to the same issues we're going to talk about in the show and therefore make an ass of myself. <laughs> there we go. That's all part of the plan. It's all it's all part of her devious, nefarious plan. No, this is, this is going to be more conversation than anything, I think. Yeah. And I kind of tweeted about this, but it's going to be a lot about like, I think the main characters of tech in 2022, there were a lot of them. And we'll start with the obvious ones. But before we talk about the billionaires and millionaires, Alex... How are you feeling? Like, what is kind of like the feeling you feel at the end of this year ahead of kind of a crazy 2023 for you, I'm sure? I'm going to answer that in in the work context. On the personal front, who knows what parenting is going to be like. But, (laughs) you know, 2021, I feel like we talk about it almost too distinctly as a period of time. 2021 was just the culmination of a decade-long boom, right? And then 2022 was a, a series of four distinct periods of time broken down into quarters, each which was different. I'm very curious next year about what this all kind of nets out to. Like, where do yeah. we end up in valuations, investor interest, founders' power in negotiations and so forth? So to me, really, it's like, when do we land on the new normal and what does it look like? I love that. Yeah, the way you just made that so concise, because to me, it's been like, everyone is saying everything and the hangover is upon us. And I don't want to say this year people had like a break in any way. We know that so many people lost their jobs and it was like a big, like, you know, more than a hit on the wrist for a lot of companies. But I do think like, especially the ones that raised venture funding in 2021, next year might really be when we start to see some of these impacts play out. So all to come. But the reason we're here today to talk about ego and to really reflect on what we've seen in the recent news is because 
SBF and Elizabeth Holmes recently made news. And I mean, this is a selfish episode because I honestly just wanted to sit with my friend and talk about what we can learn from both of them. So if if it's helpful, I can do a quick rundown. But I think everyone knows why Sam Bankman-Fried is in the news, Alex. Well, you know, I I think it would help to do a rundown of the most recent things like Sam Bankman and talking about testifying, maybe the deal book interview. And then with Holmes, kind of like what was the final sentence that was handed down just to bring everyone up to the current moment? Yeah, totally. So the latest with Sam Bankman-Fried, the former chief executive of FTX, is that on around Sunday, he said that he's unlikely to testify in the upcoming U.S. House committee's hearing on the collapse of FTX, saying that he's still learning and reviewing what happened, which really fit well into Alex's media tour that if we had to sum it up in one word, it was ignorance. It was claiming ignorance. I mean, this weekend I was on Twitter, you know, where I shouldn't be on the weekend, but I've got brain worms. So there I was. <laughs> And I was looking at, you know, the top of the Twitter iOS app has Twitter spaces. And I'm like, SBF, is he doing another interview? And he was another multi, I think, hour interview. I mean, like. Multi hour. You're so right. <laughs> I mean, like, the dude sure? just arrives, gets shit on, explains nothing, and then does it again. Is this like penance through punishment? Like, yeah. what, what, what is the goal here? Other than perhaps showing off that he's not afraid to do it, which would be a moment of ego. Totally, totally. And we have this, like, I think very visceral media tour that he's going on, like you said. And then we also, days before everything really came crashing down with SBF, or maybe even in the heart of it, we hear from Elizabeth Holmes, who after years of Theranos being defunct, the trial finally happened and she was finally sentenced in the middle of November to 11 years in prison for fraud. And so we kind of had these two characters and people and humans take up news and in a way that I think really grabbed our attention. And to me, it just made me wonder, what do these people have in common? Is there any learning lessons here? And, you know, should we be using them in the same sentence? We talked about on the pod a while ago, Adam Newman and Elizabeth Holmes should be used in the same sentence. But I think SVF brings a whole other set of questions. So I think we should start with maybe the similarities between the two stories. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot. So I'm just going to riff on on a couple that really stick out to me. And then, Natasha, if you don't mind grabbing that baton away. The first thing that comes to mind is uh, cult of personality. SBF was a, a wizard at getting attention for himself. And people think that there was some sort of like, you know, collusion between SBF and the media. And what he was willing to do was just say yes to things. Like yes. most people don't say yes to things. If we called up CEO of X and asked her to come on the show to talk about why, uh, probably not just because they don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about whatever's on their mind and their marketing plan. So cult of personality there. Holmes was a little bit different, but still definitely a media personality, if you will, and certainly made it all about her being this Stanford Wunderkind. And, you know, Sam was kind of the same way, frankly. Stanford doesn't look very good (laughs) in all this, now that I think about it. She was a Stanford dropout. SBF went to MIT. I don't know if he was a dropout. But his parents work at Stanford, right? His parents work at Stanford. There we go. So I think on the media point, you're so right. And I do think about, like, the media, which I hate the term because it's so diverse. I don't need to tell you that. And I don't need to tell our listeners that. They get it. All of that aside, I think about how like there might be a sort of excitement in getting a CEO of that scale of a, in Theranos' case, a $10 billion company with this amazing and interesting character who's trying to do something truly inventive. If they are open to being on speed dial, I get the inclination. I do think now that I'm watching the way that SBF is taking a platform and, and kind of not really answering questions. I think it's like media has a power and media is not going to like indict someone, but I am starting to rethink a little bit about like what power we have in amplifying certain voices. 
And if we should always amplify, even if they're ready to talk. It's like a weird similarity between these two stories. Like, should we always say yes? Well, we don't. I mean, just to be clear. But I think what you're saying is, should we be even more hard to say yes? Hard to get to say yes. And I, I've been thinking a lot about this in the, the wreckage of the Terra Luna crypto fiasco from earlier this year mm-hmm. with Do Kwan and so forth, because we had talked to him before that all fell apart. And the issue with covering private companies is that there's so much less information out there. I'm going to bring this back to the Holmes Sandbank Refeed point, but there's so much less information out there that we can use to vet individual actors. You end up depending on personal connections a lot more than you would if you were a an investor, for example, with more data. And so for us, we're often kind of stuck with just some valuation marks, hiring, and buzz to kind of figure out who we should talk to about what's going on. And that can lead you astray. And if you want to combat that, if you want the media to be smarter, share more of your numbers. Which brings me to my other thing about that kind of brings together SBF and Holmes to me, which is incredible centralization of power and authority and a lack of opacity. The, the two kind of go together, I think. Holmes was tight-lipped about financial results, spending, and so forth. SBF apparently was so tight-lipped about how his business ran, he didn't know himself, at least yeah. he claims. So <laughs> certainly there's the cult of personality, centralization, and opacity that are now, for me, the biggest and brightest and boldest of red flags. Yes, they're the biggest, brightest, and boldest of red flags. And also some of the most common things I see. Like I have covered companies that will not tell me their name, but they want to be in TechCrunch. I've covered companies that don't have news and, and don't have a product that is being used yet, but are ready to tell the world that it will save them thousands of dollars on their subscriptions every year. And that's a, a low impact solution to be clear. But it's it's one of those weird things where I'm like, yeah, like if we take away these two big names from it, like not being pretty private, having a lot of control, that sounds like a lot of companies. It just kind of depends on if the person in control has their heart in the right place, which is is scary to think about because we kind of got, I don't, you know, especially during a downturn, seeing these two examples give these statements in such a crazy time, I think maybe, and maybe I'm being too optimistic here, will have an impact on the way people build businesses because it's it's not like during a bull cycle and everyone's kind of like, oh, that's to the side. It's like everything is hard right now. And to be reminded even more viscerally due to SBF and Holmes that being private is not a great idea in like a vulnerability sense. I'm hoping that there might be an impact. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I think there's going to be an impact until there's a financial incentive to disregard that impact. I don't think humans learn, mm-hmm. like mostly. I mean, I've talked about this book on the show before. It's, I think it's been a while, but there's a book called, I think it's Devil Take the Hindmost, which is a compendium in history of financial bubbles in time. And every single chapter in that book is another one. And every single chapter in the book could pretty much be the one before it because humans do not learn. And so right now, yeah, we're sitting around, you know, we talked about uh, Bill Gurley's stuff on the show last week and his yeah. red flags and, oh my gosh, all those old rules of thumb were rules of thumb for a reason. Ugh, yeah. You know, they were things that we had learned over time. And then they all went out the window and now we're dealing with kind of a, a return to, you know, where we were before. So inventive financial controls, not good. Uh, having an ineffective board of directors and no governance, not good. Not doing diligence, not good. And these things allow for egotistical, centralized power founders to take on outsized influence and make outsized holes in other people's balance sheets. So to me, really, the the biggest linking factor between SBF and FTX, I hate the acronyms, uh, SBF, the CEO of FTX and also WTF, Tumblr, Jesus Christ, (laughs) and Holmes is that they were both able to attract so much capital and power, I think because of unique market conditions that are now no longer Pertinent. So I think all future frauds the next couple of years will be smaller in scope and size. And by fraud, I mean fraudish. For don't don't sue me. You know what I mean. 
like what was out of big allegedly if that helps whoever is listening to this and wants to be mad um you're right. And I think that these worries that fraud was going to appear due to a crazy cycle, of course, was not going to stop fraud from actually appearing. I got so annoyed thinking about how like all the investors and founders were out there saying like, you know, make sure to go slow and think a little bit about your actions and do due diligence on both sides. And it's like that didn't have the impact clearly that in these two examples and in general, um, The only other similarity that I wanted to talk about for a second is I think both of these companies really link in the idea that they were really, at a moment in time, the dream of what a venture-backed company looks like. They had the story. They had the ability to pitch vision. And to be venture-backed, you have to be good at getting venture-backed. And I, I still think about how Elizabeth Holmes, during her trial, brought forward, I think, over 200 pages of letters and testimonies from people in support of her and... This VC, Tim Draper, wrote, Although there is substantial popular outcry against Theranos and Elizabeth, the attitude in much of the venture world is very different. Venture-backed startup companies often announce and deliver products to the market before they are ready. SBF, during, I believe, the deal book interview, if not the one of 10 Twitter spaces, said something like, you know, it's not my VC's fault Not that they didn't do due diligence, but more like their job is to see the upside and to get the vision and then run after it. And to me, I think it's just like, I'm I'm not saying it's venture capital's fault, but I do think it exposed, and the link here is that it exposed this really, really big soft spot in venture, which is like incentives, which we've been talking about, but also like the most extreme impact of when those incentives really don't work out. Yeah, the, the bigger a home run you think you're going to hit, the less you care about how legal the bat you're swinging is. Home okay. runs? Maybe. Home? Oh, ho- Holmes, Holmes run. Oh, I, my sorry. God. <laughs> I, I was like, is that not a correct baseball metaphor? No, no, no. Um, I, mean, I was like, as if I would know, but I just I, I thought maybe you did it on purpose. <laughs> like, all right, all right. So let me try again. Um, if in venture you're going to do the right curling thing <laughs> with the big stone and the... <laughs> And the ice, you know, in the Olympics with the brooms, you know, curling. Oh, I kind of, I mean, it's been a while. All right. So that's not going to work either. The point is in venture capital, you're probably willing to believe your own bullshit if you think there's enough upside. And so in the case of these people, I think, you know, when you think that Elizabeth Holmes is going to reinvent the way we do blood testing worldwide, the TAM is so large that you're willing to kind of look past strange things like hiring your own private security detail. Totally. And I I think that uh, like the same way the media might be excited about interviewing someone who stands out because they're accessible and will answer and will be off script. I wonder if venture is also tempted by like, we get so many companies that are trying to disrupt email. We finally got one that wants to analyze a prick of blood in a matter of seconds or wants to change the way the crypto world's money moves and sits. And I wonder, I mean, I guess that is that is the story or the context, which is like why certain parties are tempted and willing to ignore red flags. I don't think the media is at fault as much as VCs are. Obviously, we're not backing them with billions of dollars. I just wonder kind of like why these stories, you know, they don't appear to thin air. We give them validation over time. I think the media has similar weaknesses as the venture capital industry in terms of being occasionally overwowed by personality, polish, panache, and pedigree. Just because we're all human. We're all made of the same substance. We have different chairs we sit in, different jobs that we do. But I mean, it's not like we're very different. I mean, okay, you and I don't have MBAs, but that's because we didn't want to. Yeah. But short of that, I mean, whatever. But yeah, I think that's why we were able to kind of 
make similar mistakes. The difference is that we're not putting capital to work and we don't yes. have other private information, but it turns out that VCs last year didn't want that. So we were yeah. in the same boat. Oh my God, so true. Isn't that and crazy? I would say that there's an ego tie-in here as well, back to your, your core point, which is that if you are someone who wants to think a lot of themselves, and I think people in media and venture capital worlds often do want to think more of themselves, you probably want to surround yourself by people who you think are cool, so they rub off on you, the halo effect. And so I think we all like to sit next to someone fancy, be it a hot, flashy CEO that we're going to invest in or interview. And so I think we probably fall prey to some of the same issues. Yeah, it's like definitely like the same idea of like when you only interview people who are good at tech Twitter, you're kind of like, okay, are my incentives in the right place or is is my sourcing correct? Like, I think it's all helpful to think back on. But, you know, you go on all sides of the table and I'm glad we brought that up. The only other similarity before we get into differences, because there are a lot of them, is a funny one, which is I saw that Theranos kind of fell apart when after it hit a $10 billion valuation. And $10 billion is also a figure in the SBF FTX madness because $10 billion is allegedly how much of FTX's money was sent to Alameda. So I just want to put that out there, that $10 billion might be the new red flag. Add that to your post, Mr. Gurley. And if you are a decacorn, uh, send your emails to natasha.moscarinas at techrush.com. <laughs> not me. I didn't say it for once. I, I think it, it is funny to see the parallels there. I think, I think the way that I would consider that data point is just that when the amount of money in question gets to be so large, it's probably increasingly hard to hold it up with air. Yes. Like, I think the whole Tim Draper comment about venture-backed startups occasionally getting ahead of their skis. And, you know, I, I'm so okay with that. If you're a seed stage company and you have a product in market and you're adding features to it and you're like, oh yeah, we're going to have single sign-on in six months and it's going to take you nine. Okay, yeah. you know what? I will bend a little bit for your optimism about your business. But when you are worth up to $32 billion, as, as FTX was, um, and there knows $10 billion, and dealing with healthcare data and information for regular people, you don't get any leeway. There's yeah. no laxity available to you. So to me, Tim Draper is saying like, well, I know he's 45, but all teenagers have strange heads. Like, what are you talking about? Totally. This is the same thing. This isn't a scrappy pre-seed company coming out of an accelerator. Like this is no. someone who like, this is someone who has routinely convinced people on a vision and not just the vision, but now that it works, you do not get a $10 billion, $32 billion valuation if your company doesn't work or if, you know, you aren't good at selling. So, I mean, I guess you kind of do. I- I mean, to be clear, what is the core job of a CEO? It's kind of like two things. One is set general vision and two is make sure there's enough cash. Totally. Right? And the cash boy means fundraising effectively or just cash management if you're a cash flow positive company. But we're talking about startups, so it means fundraising. And there's a correlation between media coverage and funding, as we all know, because that's one-time companies talk, which means that good funding CEOs get way more play than good operating CEOs. Totally. And so I wonder if that's also an issue here. And also the same thing goes for VCs here again, because they get caught up in FOMO much like probably we do back to ego. So it's another kind of shared, shared weakness, if you will. Is this, is this a therapy session I for know. me and venture? I, I know, this is what right? It's I'm kind of like, not to make it about us, but like it is about ego. And so I'm so here to talk about the media as a big character. <laughs> like, as we're talking out, I'm like, I feel like a resolution for next year for me definitely needs to be more talking to people who aren't venture-backed at all. Because I, I think it like very much would then cast away the assumption that this person is good at selling to rich people. And I, mean, I think it would just be a good practice. And I, I talk to people who don't raise venture money, but do I do it as much as I should? I shouldn't. And... I should expand my horizons. I'm realizing. Well, I mean, the the flip of that is those companies tend to be slower growing, therefore less disruptive. Yeah, that's a good point. That's what venture capital is for. Yeah. So anyways, let's do differences, yeah? Let's do differences. So right at the top, 
One had a product and users and one did not. Can we guess which one was which? Obviously, FTX had a product. It had, in fact, users that are so relevant that they are the ones that have been hurt by FTX's fall, while Theranos had a product that did not work. And I think that's what kind of we're alluding to in the previous section, which is like these valuations, like, You actually can. I take it back. You can raise at a $10 million valuation, even if you have a product that doesn't work. Case in point, Theranos. (laughs) But it's a bit like slowly sawing off the diving board that you're standing on. You can keep doing it for a little bit of time, but it won't last forever. Yeah, I hope. You will eventually get found out. Totally. I think her indictment last month was not because of this valuation, but because her product didn't work. And I think that that is kind of like the biggest example we will have for hopefully years to come of like how serious it has to be taken when it's no longer you're pitching a vision with a company that kind of works. It's like you were simply lying and that is what happened here. The other I think is just like speaking of talking, after things went awry, both of these individuals took different paths on how they wanted to basically cover their ass. And SBF, as we've repeated throughout this show, has been very, very open to chatting while Elizabeth Holmes, I mean, I wasn't actually covering tech too closely, I feel like, at the time. But Alex, do you remember how Elizabeth reacted to all of this falling apart? Well, it, it was a little bit of a different circumstance because FTX is domiciled in the Bahamas, which is where Sam appears to be. By the way, great place to hang out if you need to not go home for a bit. I would love <laughs> to have my ass in the Bahamas versus in the Northeast where it's cold. Yeah. Whereas Holmes was, you know, as far as I can recall, in the U.S. So probably different uh, legal setups, if you will. And I think that did lead to what you're alluding to, which is Sam Bankman-Fried won't shut the f*** up. And I can't recall the last time I read a new quote from Holmes that wasn't from the court. So that is a distinction. We'll see which one goes better. But Holmes stepped down in June of 18, I think, as the CEO of Theranos. So if you're hoping that Sam Bankman-Fried is in prison by February, temper yourself. (laughs) If he goes to prison at all. Just temper yourself. Yeah. I think even the fact that we are wondering if he will go to prison at all. We're earlier in the news cycle, obviously, than Holmes. Like it's been years since Theranos has fallen and fell apart and exposed for all that it was. But I am wondering if we're going to be sitting here next year still waiting to see what happens to SPF. And I do think it's worth expressing another difference, which is the environments that created each of these people. And I was thinking a little bit about like sexism and how Elizabeth Holmes's failure has impacted a whole generation of female founders in the health tech world from how they dress to how they talk. And there was actually a really good column on TC last year that was titled, I get it, Elizabeth Holmes from a female founder. And, you know, she wasn't necessarily like supporting Elizabeth Holmes or even defending her, but she did start a light, the environment that created Elizabeth Holmes. And it's like two things can be true at the same time. It could be a really bad person. And it also could be a biased system that forced someone to change their voice and played a role in someone making bad decisions. And I kind of just wanted to like draw that out too, which is like SBF, the whole context of him and what happens to him next has been put into like, oh my God, the crypto winter is just going to get colder. With Elizabeth Holmes, I think it really hurt like female founders, which is just such a different sort of way to talk about it, I think. I'm curious what you think, Alex. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about homes and sexism and so forth. And I don't think I'm the the best person to comment on what you've just brought up, other than the fact that it's very good food for thought. Yeah. I do think it is pertinent, perhaps, to point out that Holmes was famous for her clearly designed personality, mannerisms, 
method of speech. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sam Bankman Freed, and I say this with nothing but affection for myself, looks like I do, which is not good. <laughs> like he's usually wearing a slouchy t-shirt and shorts, which has been my uniform since I was like 13. And I, I don't think it's a surprise that the male example in this uh, egotistical story of, of failure in startup land uh, looked like shit. Well, the woman looked, I mean, now a little bit risible given her how her profile has changed, but she had a, an aesthetic, a, a brand. Totally. That was much more defined. It, it's kind of weird to see how like, and I, you know, we're not experts on the topic of like how people are dressing in certain ways to give certain vibes, but I will say like SBF has claimed ignorance and is trying to look, his body language, he looks kind of ashamed. He's looking down during interviews. Maybe, but he always was looking down. Have you seen like the pictures of him and Bill Clinton? But I wonder, well, there's like, <laughs> I wonder, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I wonder why, I mean, I don't wonder why, I know why, SBF has been like synonymous with like the scrappy dropout founder while Elizabeth Holmes didn't get that luxury ever. She was okay. always kind of different. New, new rule. You don't get to claim the scrappy dropout founder mantle if you dropped out from Stanford or MIT and your parents are wealthy. There we or go. Harvard. Like, you're not being scrappy. You have a safety net. It's not risky because you have money. Like, scrappy is, I took a hiatus from my state school to start a company in my friend's basement because I didn't have any money to rent an office. Versus, I was playing League of Legends when I was talking to Sequoia because I couldn't be to pay attention. Yeah. Like, (laughs) these are not the same things. And so, I I wonder if a touch of this is, we're always trying to overly pattern match. VCs love to do this. Media false prey to this too. We're always looking for the next, you know, essentially dropout from the 90s that's going to found the next Yahoo or, or Google. And I think Zuck so clarified that zeitgeist for us with the Facebook story. I wonder if now we're just too willing to buy into it again. But, it, but it's not even really pertinent, I think, to the modern era. I know. It is such a, yeah, it's a weird thing to be. And like, I hesitate to be like, things will change from here, even though I kind of said that a few minutes ago. <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to like think though we have we have some more names in our doc, yes. including Musk, obviously, when it comes to ego and power and, and money and doing things with it. Adam Newman, Brian Breslow, Dom Holland, Harry Hurst, maybe. There's there's been a lot of people that have caused a lot of ruckus in the technology sphere yes. this year, and it's very interesting to to kind of chew on them and think about them. I don't think it's a shock that there's one woman and tons of men. <laughs> all in the fintech world, like no, all a lot. Fintech has had a very dramatic year. Like, and I don't think anyone's talking about that. Like, well, I can explain that. Yeah, please. Natasha, please, (laughs) please. Do you know why Marianne's hair was on fire all through 2021? (laughs) I know. Do you know why she was combusting into flame? It's because Fintech was crazy last year. And where there was that much FOMO, there's going to be not that much discipline. And where there's not that much discipline, there's going to be mistakes. And you're going to let charlatans accrue too much power with too little to back it up. And scene, honestly, and scene. I think, well, yeah, I mean, the stat that we stuck by, or we didn't do anything about this, but we said it on the show a ton, which is Fintech got one out of every $5. I think that changed to Fintech got one out of every $6 or something. Yeah, it's gone down so much. Yeah, right. And so I guess like the last section of the show before we talk about a few little learning lessons is like, should Elizabeth Holmes, Elon Musk, Adam Newman, SBF, and let's add in Ryan Breslow, the main characters of the year, be used in the same sentence. Because I do think all the names get conflated as bad actors in tech. But after the show, I'm yeah. realizing just how different each scenario is. Yeah, I, I do think it's very important to draw distinctions between them. Like Adam Newman was much more SBF-y than he was Holmes-ish. 
Dom and Fast felt more Holmes-ish than, than FTX-ish because it turns out they had a, a marketing product essentially with very little business behind it, much like Theranos. And I think Elon Musk is in an entirely separate category. Uh, the very first episode <laughs> of this show. Uh, yeah, this is actually a nice thing I'm saying about oh, Elon Musk. Oh, okay, okay, whoa. Yeah, so let me throw some points this way. On the very first episode of Equity with Jason Lumpkin, Jason yeah. said that no one's better at like attracting capital than Musk. And this is back when he was raising money for Tesla because it wasn't, I think, cash flow uh, positive at the time. Okay. But Elon was always finding another billion here, five billion there, whatever. And it was, it was incredible. Cash. And he just has an ability to defy gravity. Now, you may not agree with Elon Musk's perspective on American politics, media, how to run Twitter, how to manage a business, how to build electric cars, Free speech. what self-driving means. Free speech. But what you can't say is that he hasn't actually done some shit. And so to me, he's controversial and a main figure in that way. But when it comes to the rest of the people kind of on our list, I'm thinking about people that are much more, uh, much more hat than cattle, I believe, as they say in Texas. And I feel like Elon Musk is much hat and much cattle, which makes okay. him slightly different. There's two holes I want to poke in that. Please. One is with Ryan Breslow. I think for how you explained it, I get the the Holmes-ish comparison. I think ish is really important there because I do think ultimately <laughs> Theranos had a product that didn't work. And Ryan Breslow had a product that worked. It just kind of was lying about its finances and, and messing up its finances, which to me feel more Adam Newman-ish. And I think we're being oh. complicated on purpose here to show you guys how intertwined all these people are and the mistakes they make. But, you know, there's there's something in our in our draft, which is called inventive financial controls. And it's kind of like the mistakes that people make when they make up different figures that express some things and include others. I'm thinking of the EBITDA example, the Adam Newman notoriously created, if I remember that correctly. I'm trying to make a complex analogy here. So okay. is, is, is Sam Bankman freed like the Dom Holland of Adam Newman's? Wow. I, I see. <laughs> I feel like, or, or maybe I've ascended up so far up my own ass that I've now lost the plot. I'm, try, I'm, I'm like, yes, I, the answer is yes, actually, that I agree with that a characterization. But but that's why you can't put Musk in the exact same category. Yes. Okay. So the, I, I agree with that like 95%. 5% of me thinks that Elon Musk is bringing out the traits of people who make the same mistakes of the SPFs and Elizabeth Holmes of the world. Like he, I think he's inspiring a generation of founders right now to act the way he is acting in the way he has taken over Twitter. And mm. I'm not saying this doesn't like he has this like evil plot. People are still working at Twitter. Great people are still working at Twitter. So I'm, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think Elon Musk is showing us that even though like investors can be like, you should think about control. You should think about not over pitching. I think Elon Musk is showing you don't have to do that and you can still kind of appear and be a successful person. So I guess I just get worried that even though Elon Musk is not a fraud, is he going to be exacerbating qualities that make others a fraud? Maybe that's a stretch too, but that's how I feel. I mean, I don't think Elon Musk wakes up in the morning and says, I'm a role model. I think he you does. <laughs> oh, well, maybe, maybe I, I, I don't know him. I mean, I, I know people who know him, so I, you know, but I don't, I don't know him personally. Never been my impression. What I think about Musk is that I think you're right in that people will take notes and lessons from him. I just want to say, don't. Yeah. Because it has nothing to do with your life. Like people love to read those like uh, three things Bill Gates does yes. before he has breakfast. Nothing Bill Gates does has any pertinence to your life. Do you know why? Because he's a billionaire. And you know what you're going to do in the morning? You're going to pick up dog and feed your kids because that's what you do. You live in a house with a yard. You don't have a fleet of jets. Sit down, do the crossword and realize that you're going to be living on a 401k when you're 65, not flying in a castle. Okay. So that's that point. Say it. <laughs>
I will say that that Musk is not the best example when it comes to taking care of people. Yeah. And I do think that people will take that the wrong way and that will lead to some startups trying to act more musky. And the difference is they don't have the ability to get the world's banks to loan them $13 billion when they go off on a vanity mission to execute a hostile takeover of a social media network that is overvalued. So if you can cross that threshold, feel free to go full Musk. Until then, um, sit down and realize that you need to be nice people. <laughs> I think we Put should- your ego aside. <laughs> I think we should end the show on that. Like, I- Ego is like a weird thing because it's a part of all of our jobs. It's a part of the stories and the companies that we like literally use to make a living or to live. But I am thinking that this year, I hopefully cast like a more realistic spotlight on the negative impacts of when ego becomes your entire business proposal and lets people make excuses for you. So we'll talk about conflict. We'll talk about more themes from the year in following episodes. But we wanted to spend a second on these characters and what they've taught us, not taught yeah, us about which ourselves. Which is that, you know, in the era of ego and, and cheap money, founder power became more monarchy than democracy. And we're now cleaning up that particular mess. And let's hope we learn from this cycle, even though we won't. And in five to seven years, Natasha, we're right back to where we were. You and I will probably do a slightly better job than this time of avoiding the hype. But our egos will get in the way once again, because we're human. Exactly. Exactly. And... To that, I will say I will be a steward, Butterfield, and jump into my garden and talk to the rest of you later this week. Goodbye. Equity Wednesdays are hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter, Natasha Mascarenas. We're produced by Teresa Locansolo with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week. 